Well, today I'm very pleased to be joined by Galoran Turan from the Global CCS Institute. Um, Galoran, perhaps you could give a little bit of flavour as to your, your background in terms of decarbonisation and also a little about the Global CCS Institute. Thanks very much, Alex, and it's a big pleasure to be here with you today. Um, my name is Galoran Turan and I'm the General Manager of Advocacy at the Global CCS Institute. The Institute was founded in 2009, originally by the Australian government, uh, but we are an independent body, non-profit. Uh, we're an inter international think tank uh, that aims to accelerate the deployment of, of carbon capture and storage as a key climate mitigation technology. And we do that through three ways. First, through our advocacy, we build support. Then through our intelligent efforts, uh, we seek to build in and disseminate knowledge. And through our membership, uh, we seek to build community. We're a membership organization. We have close to 80 members, uh, businesses, governments, and, and NGOs um, amongst the governments. I mentioned the Australian government is a founding member, but we also have the governments of China, Japan, US, and UK. We've got big corporates like BP and Shell. We've got small technology providers and NGOs, as I mentioned amongst our membership. I joined the Institute two years ago. Uh, I have a career in the energy industry close to 15 years. Uh, I was with the BG Group, a UK-based uh, natural gas major, which was taken over by Shell. I was their first head of climate change strategy. So I've been in the climate and sustainability and energy space for quite a while. And I'm very pleased to have joined the Institute to help the Institute, uh, as I said, try to uh, increase support for CCS around the world. So the day-to-day -day work of the institute, what what sort of what sorts of things would be you know a given focus in any week? Just to sort of clarify that. Of course. So um, we. As I mentioned, we uh, uh, work on increasing intelligence. So we release thought leadership reports and our flagship report is called uh, the global status of CCH, which gets released every year. And, and in the past, it got released during the uh, COP conferences. Given that this year's COP is postponed to, to uh, 2021, we'll, we're still going to release the report on the 1st of December. And then the report aims to capture all the developments around the world that are related to CCS from investments to, to policy and, and technology. Um, particularly um, after following the pandemic, we started to do a lot of webinars and that's enabled us to reach larger audiences than we did in the past. Before the, um, before the pandemic, we used to hold a lot of events around the world with our exclusive to our membership as well as open to public. But the uh, webinars are now enabling us to reach, as I said, to much you know, bigger audiences. Uh, in September, we released a, a paper together with Columbia University on net zero and the role of CCS in reaching net zero. And we released that report during New York Climate Week. Uh, and our event, uh, online event, attracted more than a thousand participants, which I think is, is fantastic. Um, we also provide input into uh, various government consultations and we try to become trusted partners to policymakers and advise them as requested on you know um, assessing pros and cons of of various different policy options as well as technological improvements regarding CCS. Thank you that's a really good background for the conversation. Now we um, we have picked on a theme which is about how to get CCUS to commercial scale um, and anyone that has listened to some of the other podcasts that we've done in this series will know that this kind of whole thing of 
how do we get commercial scale technology to solve the kind of big complex problems of industry? It's not just limited to CCUS. Obviously, it's a similar challenge for, for other types of technology as well. But um, today we're focusing in on CCS, CCUS. Sorry. So one of the kind of the starting points that I, I thought we would kick off with is this whole idea at the moment of, you know, the Green Deal in Europe and various other initiatives around the world to build back better post-COVID. What, what are your thoughts on that? What measures do you think are needed to help us get to a more resilient system? And more specifically, are there measures that you're aware of in any of those deals that really speak to supporting and ramping up CCUS? Indeed. Um, the pandemic and the following economic downturn have been devastating. And um, if there is any silver lining to all that we're going through, at the moment, I think it's the fact that it gives us once in a probably in a century, once in a lifetime opportunity to build back, as you say, uh, a better system, a system that's more resilient, um, that that's more inclusive, and of course, low in carbon. Um, I think what's different this time around compared to the global financial crisis of, say, a decade, 12 years ago, um, is, is that now I think policymakers understand, we now know that that economic recovery does not have to be divorced from you know, sustainable environmental and, and, and climate-friendly policies. They can be, that used to be the conventional wisdom. It's no longer, thankfully. Um, and indeed, compared to the global financial crisis, we see much a more different approach from, from governments. Um, in fact, within the only the past two years, sorry, past two weeks, we've seen China, Japan and South Korea uh, commit to net zero targets, uh, which I think is fantastic. Um, you mentioned the Green New Deal. In fact, EU reiterated its commitment to the uh, Green New Deal and its recovery package. Uh, the next generation EU has many climate friendly and, and you know, just transition focused um, measures. Um, from the point of CCUS, I'm happy re to report that um, CCUS is also having a role in these packages. Uh, a stellar example is the Norwegian government, uh, which gave, uh, which actually uh, brought forward its decision on the Norway full chain project. It was supposed to make a decision on it in 2020, first quarter of 2021, but it brought it forward. And in September, it announced that it was going to give a green light to the project. And in fact, it would be investing sort of up to a billion, I think a billion and a half uh, euros into the project, which is renamed Longship. And the project is going to be, this is the CCS project, uh, uh, transport storage project in, in Norway, uh, initially to capture from two facilities in Norway, a cement and a waste energy plant. And, and in later stages, it's uh, aiming to capture CO2 from other industrial sources in Europe. So it's very much a European decarbonization project. And it's one that's going to create jobs in, in Norway. It's estimated to create some 3,000 jobs during construction. I think, again, one of the yeah, aspects of CCS that's better understood now is the fact that it can create job creation, it can help with just transition. Similarly, when we look at uh, where I'm based, uh, in the UK, the government proposed 
800 million pounds uh, for CCUS infrastructure in the spring budget. And, and a, you know, a few days later, the prime minister has said that, that the government will invest around 100 million pounds in order to uh, scale up direct air capture innovation, accelerate innovation in direct air capture. So I think we are seeing governments uh, support CCS within the context of the economic recovery packages uh, in, in key jurisdictions. So let me just ask a couple of questions about those, because those um, the Longship project interests me a lot. Because I, am I right? I'm just hoping I'm making the right connection here. This is where they are um, putting a lot of funding into the NORSEM project, which is Heidelberg Cement. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. And is it linked into, apologies to my listeners, I should probably know this, but is it linked to the Northern Lights project as well? Exactly. So Northern Lights is the uh, transport and storage infrastructure, um, and that's led by um, Equinor, Total and Shell. And NORSEM is, is one of the plants that's going to be the cement plant that's going to be capturing CO2 from in Norway and there's also the Oslo Waste 2 energy plant that's aiming to capture CO2 so those will be the first two anchor uh, capture projects that will uh, send CO2 into this infrastructure but it's scaled up so that it in the future phases it can it can um, as I said um, receive emissions from all over from Europe and there are a number of MOUs already that have been signed with companies uh, a number of companies across Europe in places like Sweden for example. Okay interesting and then on the the US, uh, sorry, the UK stat that you mentioned which is that 800 million pound investment. I, sometimes I get a little overexcited about numbers, but then you have to stop and pause for a moment. What sort of invest, what sort of projects or what sort of result would you expect for that investment? Because obviously they're not claiming they're going to um, all CCUS everywhere in the UK. So what should we get for that 800 million pounds, do you think? So the government in the March, uh, in the spring budget announced that they would like to see two uh, CCS uh, clusters, having clusters become operational uh, in sort of mid 2020s and onwards. And this is a very much of an infrastructure fund. So whilst the government is not going to be uh, taking on all the investment, I think it's it's um, aiming to create, help create the infrastructure, the transport and storage infrastructure to enable these hubs and clusters kind of come about. And that's one of the things that we're seeing uh, recently, the, the sort of hub and cluster model that enables in industrial decarbonization of, of, you know, places like Teesside and, and, and Humber, etc., which obviously account for quite a bit of UK emissions, but also account quite a bit for UK's industry as well. So the government is hoping to be able to decarbonize these industrial hubs through the use of CCUS. Okay, so that, that investment kind of covers that early stage of getting the consortia up and running, or it kind of contributes to the feed study or, or things like exactly, that. Exactly, exactly. Okay, well, before we get much further with CCUS, I think um, somewhere out in the universe, there is a lot of, there are a lot of climate warriors who are still fairly enraged. Gosh, I, th- I think I know where this question is going to. <laughs> yeah, so the big, the big criticism, and, and actually it's not even a criticism, sometimes it's a question. So, you know, friends of mine or, you know, people I'm connected to who are not in this sector, not focused on decarbonisation, Often when I talk about the work that I do or the people I'm involved with, one of their first questions will be, oh, but isn't CCUS, isn't that just a bit of a fig leaf for the oil and gas companies? So 
you know, you clearly <laughs> your 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 career would say otherwise. But let, let's hear from you on kind of what what's your thought on that criticism? You know, it's that it's either a fig leaf or that it's expensive or that it's not yet proven enough to be part of our forward plans. You know, these are all big criticisms for any uh, technology to battle. So just give me your perspective on that and what, what should we consider when we're thinking about those things? Sure, um, I can see where the view is coming from, but uh, as I said, given my career and, and knowledge of the, of the space, I think it's unfair. Uh, and I'm saying this because a number of things. Um, CCS has been around since the 1970s and today we have 20 large industrial scale facilities operating. Um, since the 1970s to date, more than uh, 260 million tons of CO2 has been captured and safely stored underground. And just to give a sense to, to our listeners, um, a passenger car sort of emits, give or take, roughly five tons of CO2 per annum. Uh, and, you know, so 260 million tons of CO2 is a lot of passenger cars off the roads. So that's, that's a lot of decarbonization. Um, I think what most people don't realize is, is that, um, and probably are not aware of, is the fact that, that, that 19 of these 20 existing operational facilities um, are in industrial applications and, and some almost like half of them are in natural gas processing where, you know, cost of capturing CO2 um, is much lower, say, compared to power generation because there is a much more concentrated uh, CO2 stream and actually uh, separating the CO2 out is, is part of the process itself. Um, I think so, you know, CCS is not, people were expecting CCS to be an application uh, decarbonization option for power generation, but at the moment it's a lot actually much more used in, in industrial and uh, industrial applications. And also, um, when it comes to costs, let's not forget that that costs do come down with further deployment uh, through economies of scale and, and, and learning by doing. So, you know, CCS, what I would like to get across is that CCS has been, it's not a new technology, it's been around for a long time, it's been operating successfully, and, and it's applicable to a number of, of industries, it's not just, just power generation, which I suspect what the people were expecting to see. There are different types of hard to abate sectors that are starting to find ways of kind of, I suppose, creating more affordable uh, projects. So we had Carbon Clean Solutions exactly uh, on the podcast a little while ago. And obviously, Anna Ruda there, uh, you know, his point is that there's the opportunity for more modular uh, types of technology that can make it more affordable and easier for people to, to integrate. So there are, there are some different um, opportunities emerging there. What what's which of those um, which of those kind of criticisms would you say is the most persistent? What what it, what do you think that the the industry around CCOS still really has to prove itself on? Is it the is it the expense or is it the scalability? Or it doesn't sound like it's the scalability, but is it you know what, what do you think is the kind of the challenge that the industry still needs? I think the the. Uh, 
you know, the, the comments generally tend to continue being, oh, it's unproven and it's expensive, etc. And I love this saying that goes, nothing breeds success like success. So I think we need to have more projects up and running across different uh, applications of CCS. And I think that's going to be, you know, the, the proof to, to all the skeptics that, that CCS is scalable. The costs can come down and the costs, as I mentioned, differ across different uh, applications of, of CCS gas processing, a cheaper application, you know, power generation, a bit more expensive, cement can be a bit more expensive. But then in some industries like cement and steel and hard to debate industry, we don't have any other uh, options available today for large scale uh, decarbonization. What perhaps, again, some people don't realize is that you know, cement, for example, uh, is accountable for some seven or eight percent of global CO2 emissions, yet um, it's not uh, an industry that we can use just you can't we can't decarbonize but just using renewable electricity because almost two thirds of the emissions in cement production just come from a chemical reaction using limestone that releases CO2. So capturing and storing CO2 is the only way we can deeply decarbonize cement. So um, number of applications and the more we scale up CCUS um, I think the more you know we're going to understand that we're going to see that costs come down and and the you know the criticisms or the perception that it's unproven will I think kind of just die away with that. Okay well so you've already mentioned that you know one of the, one of the kind of perceptions of this technology is that uh, it's new and uh, oh, the, therefore in the newness there's there's a challenge. Indeed, um, when I used to be in, uh, with the BG group as the head of climate change strategy some 10 years ago or so, CCS was very much seen as a technology for decarbonizing mainly you know, coal-fired power generation. And since then, I think the landscape has changed significantly. There was the global financial crisis, but also let's remember that costs of renewables came down dramatically. Solar, you know, 90%, wind kind of significantly, et cetera. Um, and, and coal is very much on the way out, uh, particularly in, in you know, Europe and, and when we look at sort of um, uh, in Europe and UK. Uh, now, What's also changed about CCS is that the IPCC report came out, 1.5 report came out, so we now know that we conclusively need CCS. I think that's one of the kind of drivers. But we also understand, I think, the versatility of, of CCS better and more. So uh, now we're looking to utilize CCS to decarbonize gas fire generation in the UK, for example, um, also in, in, in uh, North America, arguably, which is much more relevant. Um, but we're also sort of looking at CCS as a technology to decarbonize hard to abate industry. We talked about cement. Um, and looking in, again, at Europe, we can use CCS in order to produce low carbon clean hydrogen, which can then further be used to decarbonize home heating, uh, transport, etc. And then we know that we are going to need uh, carbon capture and storage, uh, coupled with bioenergy or through direct air capture in order to remove CO2 from the atmosphere. So we've got the natural-based solutions to be able to do that, but we'll also need technology-based solutions such as CCS to be able to do that. So I think it's this, the, the versatility of CCS is, is much better understood, as well as the science that says we are going to have to do this. And the governments with their commitments to net zero, I think are, on, are, are very much aware of this as well. I'm definitely guilty. Of, I tend to sort of, in my head, and sometimes when I talk about it, I tend to sort of 
give the impression that CCOS or CCS rather is is uh, one technology type, like it is one type of box that sits on the side of a plant. For both industrials or investors that might be listening, is there a way of kind of just clarifying in easy terms, what is the landscape for CCOS and what, what's important, do you think, for people to understand about the, you know, the different types of uh, technologies involved? So um, when it comes to director capture and some of the more recent emerging technologies, I'd like to say that um, it's not a case of either or, but it's a case of and and. Um, and I'm saying this because um, the IEA uh, released its uh, 2020 World Energy Outlook, I think a week or two ago. And, and if you look at the report, half of the emission reductions that are needed to reach net zero by 2050 are to come from technologies which they consider not commercially mature at the moment and you know direct air capture would be would be one of them as i said it's one of those technologies together with bioenergy that would enable us to remove co2 from the atmosphere and ipcc says we need that so in order to i think ensure that these technologies are deployed in time um, we need to start investing in innovation today. So um, there are, you know, more uh, commercial and mature applications of CCS. We talked about, for example, uh, gas processing, fertilizer, ethanol production, but there are also uh, emerging applications such as direct air capture. And it, we can't say, let's forget about this and let's focus on that. We'll need uh, the whole suite of options, and and so uh, we need to go uh, and on all all fronts. So, are there broad categories that you can define within CCS? Then, just for a kind of magic. Well, you know, I'm a layman, but imagine there are more laymen out there. How? What if we're looking at carbon capture technology as one big group? How might we subdivide it? So, direct air capture is is one easy subdivision, I think. What what other kind of subdivisions are there that are useful to understand, but based on the type of technology, perhaps? So um, similar to director capture, there is bioenergy with carbon capture and storage. And again, I'm putting that into the sort of the uh, director capture bucket because those two are considered to be carbon dioxide removal technologies, basically removing CO2 from the atmosphere. Um, bioenergy is using of, of crops that are then kind of because they... Um, uh, remove CO2 as they're growing from the atmosphere and then when they're used sort of for example burned in a power plant um, then the emissions are captured and stored therefore leading to negative emissions so that's one group of technologies. Um, so CCUS can also be used um, in, in um, from large emission sources so we could use CCUS from power plants we mentioned coal and gas-fired power generation we can use CCUS in terms of um, uh, capturing CO2 from hard to abate industry and in that category we could put uh, cement and steel and chemicals uh, we can talk about other industrial applications such as um, gas processing and are those largely, sorry, is that where I know the membrane technology, which is, I don't know why I'm so obsessed over that particular one. I think it's just because we have um, at the festival in January, we have two press speaking and they're currently demonstrating the MOF for air. That just happens to have stuck in my brain as membrane technology that they're testing. Um, but is that when we're talking about CCOS in kind of industry, is is that the, that's not the only tech the only type of CCOS is no, it? No, no, there are kind of like, you know, for example, the most commonly used technologies 
what's called amine-based technology, which basically CO2 uh, sticks to, and then it's heated and CO2 is there for release. So it's a capture technology. Um, there are also kind of um, uh, investments going into innovating that technology as well um, to, to uh, you know, reduce the energy requirement of the technology, etc. So there are a number of, of different you know, innovations happening, such as the sort of having it smaller scale, etc. So, so um, lots going on. In the in the CCS front, let's let's sort of talk about that then. So there's lots going on, lots of different types of technologies. There are obviously examples of things at scale that are already in operation, and a whole host of innovations coming up through the you know development pipeline. So what's going to tip the investment kind of uh, balance around CCS? What's going to make it investable at, at scale? So we are seeing obviously uh, venture capital, corporate venture. And others investing in it. What's going to? What do you think needs to happen to tip this into something that larger scale investors can really feel comfortable about putting money into? I think there, there. I see two trends happening side by side. Um, one of them is ambition, and with that I mean governments and corporates um, raising ambition and and committing to decarbonization, committing to net zero targets. We have now, I think, more than a hundred countries and governments and, and cities around the world committed to getting to net zero. We have corporates, we have energy companies, we've got cement companies that have committed to net zero targets. We have likes of Microsoft that's committed to not only becoming you know, carbon negative by 2030, but also to remove all its historic emissions by 2050. So um, if we are to do this, we cannot do it without CCUS. And I think that recognition is, 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 is being understood. Together with that, um, we're also seeing the creation of an investable, uh, a fit for purpose, you know, business model and investment environment for, for CCS. We're seeing um, clever government policy. We're seeing, you know, business models that are financeable. We briefly discussed, for example, the creation of hubs and clusters. In the past, CCUS used to be very much of a, you know, point A to point B, one plant, one, one uh, storage site uh, type of an operation. Now we're looking at industrial clusters where a number of um, emitters can use, utilize a uh, shared uh, transport and, and storage infrastructure and, and governments putting in place not just not just kind of you know um, uh, investment in, in economic recovery plans but governments also putting in place um, uh, policies that can kind of make the business case for CCS so for example in the UK for um, power generation with CCS we're kind of seeing contract for differences being explored as a way of, of to remunerate CCS so, so uh, we're working, we're seeing governments and businesses work hand in hand, private, public partnerships to also create the business models. And when we think about, for example, you know, hub and clusters, um, it's, it's, um, it's a model that works because it reduces, it both reduces risks and it reduces costs as well because one can scale it up and we're seeing increased interest from financiers uh, into, into CCS because of this emergence of the business model that's backed by supportive policy. Okay, well, that very neatly, uh, <laughs> Mr. Policy brings me to my next point. So um, I think when you and I got in touch to talk about doing this podcast, I had said, oh, you know, could I ask you about your views on a fixed global price on carbon? 
and you know I'd, you didn't recoil in horror but you did sort of look like well we can talk about it but I don't <laughs> it's not really something that the institute advocates for um and plus of all the things I could bring to the table it would be the hardest to actually make anyway <laughs> so, so so if we move that to one side I know there has been interest from some industrials about about that because obviously if you've got global operations you'd much rather have fixed point of, of measurement but so if not that then what 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 is it that's going to work from that sort of um both incentive slash uh you know, the, the carrot and the stick side for industrial, not a global price on carbon, what, what could help incentivize their behavior to move more quickly towards this? Just to be clear, um, a value on carbon reduction is a key starting point and the Institute very much supports that. Uh, however, at the Institute, we are agnostic about how this is done. And, uh, and there will be, as they say, horses for courses, different countries preferring different approaches to putting a value on carbon. And depending on you know, the investment community, their tax structure, et cetera. So for example, when we look at the US, we see a tax credit called 45Q that's put on CO2 reductions through CCS. When we look at Norway, we see a carbon tax. And of course, when we look at um, EU, we see we have the EU ETS carbon price through the, um, the trading mechanism. So um, there are different ways of putting up, you know, value in carbon. And, and we think that it's a must. However, at the Institute, we are, uh, as I said, we are indifferent to, you know, we don't have a preferred way of, 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 of doing that. However, uh, we also think that whilst putting up, you know, value in carbon is necessary as a starting point, it's not sufficient on its own. Obviously, that's one externality, that's one market failure, but there are others. And we believe that clear and predictable uh, supportive policy from governments is, is key um, to reduce sort of perceived risks to you know bring about investment to create that trust from both 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 uh, sponsors project sponsors as well as from the finance community and of course you know um, potentially government coordination and investment uh, particularly in early stages of, of CCS development is going to be quite important in order to scale up deployment of CCS. Yeah and I suppose the other kind of lever to pull, push, whatever, is um, a carbon market as well. Is, is I know there's interest from industrials about, okay, so if we spend the money and we jump on this kind of highway of going through our pilots and getting things to scale and rolling it out and that we're spending on it, what is the prospect for real value in what we're extracting at the end of that? And of course, there are already many use cases and great stories about that. But does the Institute have a view on how that yeah, I guess, yeah, does he, do you have a view on that? Well, again, public procurement can kind of work really well in certain ways. For example, we talked about cement, sort of, you know, low carbon. How does one create sort of a market for low carbon cement? It's interesting that I think um, decarbonized cement um, costs... At, um, sorry, adds one to two percent to the cost of a building, if I remember correctly, uh, from my stats. But actually, it increases the cost per kilo or ton of cement quite significantly. I think some fifty percent or so. So clearly, it's 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 uh, and a difficult one for comp for cement companies to put forward. But um, you know, public procurement kind of governments are big buyers of of cement and steel and other other kind of key materials. So this can certainly kind of create. Uh, 
at least kickstart the creation of a market. Again, sort of certificates of, you know, of low carbon, for example, could be a way of doing it. So there could be, as you said, carrots or sticks. So smart regulation, um, government purchasing could be uh, potential kind of options to, to uh, take forward. Well, Galoran, thank you so much for giving me some time today. Um, I am going to give a minor shameless plug for the fact that you're uh, leading our panel on uh, CCOS commercialization at our festival in January. Thank you so much for putting your hand up to do that, or rather saying yes as I twisted your arm to do that. Um, but we'll be very happy to have you there. And yes, again, thank you very much for, for joining me today. It is my pleasure, Alex. Thank you. And, and look forward to our session in the coming weeks. Thank you.